Hey, what's going on everybody? My guest today is an entrepreneur who originally started out working in the toy industry and actually designed the X-Cube. But during that time, he had seen the amount of waste that this industry creates and along with his own values, he decided to create Block Bins. This is a company that is making composting available to all Chicagoans to recycle more of Chicago's waste. So please welcome Dane Christensen. You're listening to Showing Up with Edward Terrace, a podcast where I interview others about their own businesses, lives, or specific endeavors, along with sharing my day-to-day lessons in my own pursuits. All right, man, we're live on the Chicago Hustle. Thanks for joining the show. Thanks, Ed. Happy to be here. Yeah, so I... uh, you know, it was cool when I, I first got connected with you. I got connected with uh, a bunch of people on, on Instagram from, I think, someone like Imperfect Zero Waste, uh, yourself, because I, when I was interviewing Go Green Wilmette, uh, you know, the person I had on had been, you know, telling me about the entire, I guess if you'd call it, uh, Go Green kind of community. And uh, are you kind of in that in that world or that realm? Oh, I'm sorry. The the feed is cutting out. Um, am yep. I in kind of the green, the go green Chicago space? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, kind of by choice. I mean, you know, I'm starting a business in this space, and I've always been really deep into sustainability issues and. Um, how to how to better engage with our environment and um kind of that's why i've kind of made this foray into the composting industry uh on my of my own volition and started my own endeavor for this yeah and sustainability i guess like when someone hears sustainability like what is that i guess what does that all mean for you uh it just means that we're not depleting the earth's resources at a higher rate than we are um, consuming them okay and I guess I like, at, at what point did you feel like you seen like all of this happening? I guess, how did you kind of get into this space and having this perspective that it was something that, you know, you wanted to contribute to not happening? So, um, my, uh, this, it kind of dates back to when I was in seventh grade, you know, I was kind of pretty ignorant of, you know, all this stuff that the greater world was facing. And in science class, we had to watch an inconvenient truth. And so I, and I was just like, uh, I was just like, wow, I can't believe that like we're facing something this monumental of a challenge. Like I thought everything was good and things were going well, but that was kind of a, an eye opener for me. And so that's informed basically everything in my life since then. I was like, we got to rethink how we approach everything. We got to rethink our dependency on fossil fuels. We got to, we got to change the way we um, think about like trash. Um, there's so much that needs to be done. And there was really no escaping it from that point on. Um, so I know I've always wanted to do something in sustainability. And then, um, so I went to, I went to college for mechanical engineering. Um, I got kind of, uh, I, I got um, into a business where I was creating um, plastic toys. So like uh, I, I invented this product called the X-Cube and that was really popular, um, but it was kind of pulling me away from this deep, seated desire to work in the sustainability space. So ultimately I had to find a way to exit that company 
to, to leave that on good terms and a self-sustaining where I don't have to manage it ongoing. And then the question was, what am I going to do in the sustainability space? I just like for my efforts to be there. And uh, that's kind of where I landed on um, the issue of waste uh, the, and how we can better manage our landfill waste and, and reduce its generation. Wow. So X-Cube, so you were working with a company as a mechanical engineer creating plastic toys, which is definitely uh, contradictory yeah. to, you know, sustainability. You yeah. tell me a little bit more about that. So like, sure. Yeah. So uh, in college, I, I created this puzzle on a 3D printer. It's called the X-Cube. It's like a Rubik's Cube on steroids. Uh, you, can, there, you can look it up. Um, you can I still that and stuff. Um, and that, required, that was like my first adventure into a hustle, into a, into a real business and trying to figure out how to bring a product to market. Oh. And um, so I kind of got hooked on this entrepreneurship thing that way. I, I always knew I kind of wanted to start a business, but that was my first experiment in that and how I kind of, uh, how I kind of cut my teeth on that. Um, so, but um, then I kind of got roped into this big toy industry and that's something that was a little bit disappointing to me um, because the toy industry is just, I don't know, it just made me sad. Uh, I would go to these massive trade shows where all the, anybody who's anybody who's making toys is there. And there's just a lot of like dumb products being created and things that are just kind of, I don't know, they, I guess some people like them, but I, I, I found them to be like a, to me it was characteristic of overproducing cheap, um, non-durable, wasteful goods. And that's just what I saw from this. And I felt really bad for um, participating in that in some way. Now, not to say that I like dislike my toys. I mean, I wouldn't make them if I didn't think, think that they were worthwhile. You know, I think that my taste is pretty good, but um, still, I, I still couldn't kind of escape this, um, uh, the fact that I was contributing to this, uh, to this industry. When I was speaking to Beth Drucker on my podcast with her of, uh, you know, with Go Green Well Met, she talked a lot about single-use plastics. Yeah. How that's, a, you know, could be a big contributor, um, you know, to, to this cause. And I'm assuming that's kind of probably what you saw with, like, the overproduction of, you know, plastic toys is, let's say you're, you know, you're going through McDonald's and they have, like, these certain toys coming through. That's almost kind of like a single-use toy. Like, after a certain amount of time, they're kind of not going to use them. They're going to throw them away. And that's got to be a huge contributor. Right. That's a, that's a good way to put it. Uh, I, I think a lot of people don't think about that. I mean, what comes to me is like, hey, and toys may not be like a single use plastic, but it's shelf life is like so small that it may as well be. And all these things that just aren't built with a degree of quality and they're kind of intended to only live a certain amount of time. That's pretty significant. That's, that's a lot of waste. Um, not, not as much as compared to some other industries like, I don't know, construction. Fine. Sure. But you know, we're still, you know, fundamentally we're consuming and expecting things to be broken and replaced. And, and there's not really a, a whole lot of lifetime or thought or care put, in, put into the objects that we purchase and surround ourselves with. So this X-Cube, you're a cuber? Like you do That's right. Yeah. I'm sure you have like a fastest time. <laughs> yeah, 16.73. Wow. That's uh, that's phenomenal. I got into cubing when I was younger, 
and I think my fastest time was about 39 seconds. So 16, you're That's moving. So uh, yeah, I, but I mean, I practice, I've been practicing since like, you know, sixth grade and stuff like that. I, I should be a lot better than I am, <laughs> but I don't know. It just wasn't for me. I mean, uh, it, I, I feel like I should be sub 10 by now, but it just didn't happen. Yeah. I, um, actually I had this weird, I don't know if you call it weird, but I wanted to at one point have the fastest time to solve a Rubik's cube on a unicycle. Um, nice. I think the fastest time I ever got was like 44 seconds or something. So not too much more than my actual time. So yeah. it's, uh, it, it was cool. It was, uh, you know, if you got the right algorithm at the right time uh, that you knew really well, uh, you know, you could, you could really finish it pretty quickly. I'm sure that's obviously not a uh, factor for you of being able to do that quickly, but you know what I mean? Yeah, that's really funny that you unicycle. I, I I learned how to do that too. I would I had a buddy who who got into that, and I was like, I need to borrow this for a few days. <laughs> oh, did you ever cube on it? You ever? I didn't. Cube? I didn't. Oh, because he was way better than me at it. But yeah, um, yeah, no, that's funny. I never thought to do that. I did. I I thought about doing like the the regular bicycle cubing challenge, but not the uh, not the unicycle one. Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty cool. It, it definitely kept me busy. <laughs> so is that that was that your design uh what the x cube yeah oh it cut out there what'd you say the x cube was that my design yeah yeah absolutely okay so like this is your your product so like when stuff gets sold on amazon like is there still some sort of like residual income that right okay that's, yeah. that's pretty cool yeah, still see some of that. dang so then like you definitely had some form of, like you said, you know, entrepreneurial background where you, you know, had a business, I guess. How does the stuff you did there kind of translate with what you do at, uh, you know, with block bins? So how, do, how does that inform block bins? That's a good question. You know, a lot of the stuff is, while I might not be like selling toys in a, in a trade show or an industry, um, still the same kind of principles apply. You have to be able to explain a complicated product simply. Um, and that's that's on the sales end. And then you have to find a way to capture those sales and um, create mechanisms for that. And then you have to get good pricing models and revenue models. I still have to deal with inventory when it comes to block bins, which is a huge part of the game when you're dealing with products. You know, I've got to store bins. Um, but more generally, just running a business and like knowing how to form a corporation, how to, what you need to do to get a trademark made, uh, what you need to do to file your taxes, how to, how to not overpay on taxes when you don't need to, um, how to just manage the, uh, the accounts of the accounting of a business was really important too. And that took a, and that was helpful to see in action at least one time through. And so a lot of these, a lot of those general principles apply but it's just a matter of changing what you're providing and what solution you're doing, but you still kind of have the same, um, uh, the same groundwork that, that makes that all possible. So at what point I know when, from when you transition working on the, the X cube to, was it, was it a straight transition from, you know, working in the toy industry to what you do now? Was it a straight transition? To yeah. Or did I you do? have anything in between? Oh, um, yeah, I did have something in between. You know, it, it took me a while to kind of zero in on the composting thing. I think that was something I had been kicking around for a while. 
Um, but it, it took a little while before I was like, uh, before I figured out that that's what I should be dedicating my, my efforts to. So I, I had to exit, um, when I exited the X cube and, and that, um, I kind of took a break and just kind of spent a couple months trying to figure out, you know, where my efforts would be best in the sustainability space, eventually zeroed in on composting. Um, I actually took a job um, at my former high school um, as, a, as, a, as a resident counselor, and that kind of gave me kind of my days open, my, my 8 o'clock to 3 p.m. Uh, open so I could build this company. And it's also like, you know, days are kind of slow on the, the life of an entrepreneur sometimes, especially when you're getting started. So you might not always have victory days. So it's nice to be um, accomplishing something important. Um, in the meantime, while at the same time, it doesn't interfere with your business um, business goals. So I kind of found a, a nice um, thing to do on the side while that was gaining steam. Okay. So like, what were the first steps for you? I, I know you said it took a little bit of time for you to like zero in on what you were going to do. Yeah. But like, once you had the idea, what were you were like, okay, like this is what I'm going to do and this is how I'm going to do it. Yeah, I wanted to figure out how to implement a large-scale composting solution in the city of Chicago. Um, and right now we got five-gallon bucket pickup services. These are really good. They become really popular, um, but they're just slightly expensive, and they're going to have trouble scaling when demand for compost pickup services uh, starts to become more widespread. I mean, you could imagine picking up a five-gallon bucket from each of, I don't know, 40 households on any given block. It's a lot of time you got to spend doing that. Um, and when you have, what, 20,000 blocks in Chicago, you might run into some problems. Um, so fundamentally, like the, the question is, like, as Chicago grows and the, the demand for better waste management practices uh, also grows, what is that solution landscape going to look like? And those are the questions that drove me in developing solutions for this. And so what struck me is that, hey, if we could get people to share waste receptacles, you can collect specific types of waste for dedicated recycling. And you can offer low rates to do so. All it costs the customer is a small monthly fee and a small walk to their bin, and you make it as convenient as possible. Um, and all of a sudden, they have these options that they didn't have before. And so you could do this for composting. You can do this for even plastic waste. You can do this for all types of different waste, and that's kind of what we have our eye on doing, is not just uh, organic waste, but more waste in the future. And um, we're starting with organic waste because it's the best first step. It's the most important thing that we got to pull out of our landfills, without a doubt. Um, it's, it's, it's extremely detrimental. Uh, a lot of people are hearing this now. Um, it produces methane when it's food waste in landfills produces methane, which is a greenhouse gas that's 25 times about more powerful than CO2. And so we want to avoid generating that in the first place because it leaks into the atmosphere, contributes to about 10% of global greenhouse gas emissions. It's a mess. And it's, it's sad because it's one of the most recyclable and useful materials there is. And so it just constitutes a huge mismanagement of resources. Like we think that plastic recycling is supposedly really good, that is quite untrue. You know, um, most plastic recycling has ground to a halt at this point. It's going into landfills again. Don't stop recycling your plastic, but just it's, we're, we're, we have a trouble period right now. But 
composting, that's something we've known how to do since before human history. And um, the fact that we're not doing it is just insane. It just means that we haven't figured out the right solutions. And then when you do get the compost, like, I guess, Mm -hmm. where does it go from there? How do you, I don't don't know what you would do from there. Sure. So we set out collection bins and we help um, our our company, Block Bins specifically, we deploy drop-off points throughout the city of Chicago. We help people subscribe to them. We, we advertise our service. We find subscribers to this. And then we contract out these pickups to a company called Collective Resource. They've got the infrastructure with vans and, and people and are able to um, incorporate these into their existing five-gallon bucket pickup routes. And so we basically are able to provide another product offering for this company. And um, I, I, I manage the, the technology and I kind of make it more efficient as time goes on. Um, so they, they pick up the, the organic waste, they pick up all the food scrap, and then, they, um, and then it's eventually taken to a, a, an industrial composting site on the south end of Chicago. It's in Harborview, and you can actually see it on satellite view. It's not so far away from, from the actual city of Chicago. When you're setting this up, I mean, because this would probably be pretty new to certain areas, mm-hmm. would you have to speak to, let's say, like the, the alderman or uh, I guess how would you get, like, make sure this is all, you know, regulated, it's okay? Like, obviously it's okay, but it's yeah. just, it's different. I guess how would you get that set up? Yeah, um, well, we went through all the proper channels, um, called the head of recycling for the city of Chicago, and he was like, oh, this sounds great, go right ahead. Like, cool. sure. <laughs> we, got our, uh, we got our private scavenger license so we can deploy bins in the alleyway, and we can, and we can keep them there for, for people to use. Um, generally, the, because our footprint is so small and we manage food waste a lot better than, I mean, dumpsters and recycling, the, the aldermen's don't we're, we're not even really on their radar yeah um, we don't cause problems you know or sure. anything sure um, the, the people the the stakeholders that we really want to interact with are our um, are our building owners so you got like a few different types of buildings out there um, you got your residential maybe your two flats your three flats those are pretty simple to set up because people who are living there it's fine they can they can manage it just like a trash bin but then we got these apartment complexes with like five to 10 units. We, uh, we tend to talk to these building managers and we, say, and we kind of give them a heads up about the service that we're now providing to a residence in their building. Um, these building owners have been um, somewhat hesitant in some ways. Some of them are hesitant to join because they don't understand food scrap recycling, but some of them do and they're really excited about the service. Like, wow, I can't believe I can offer this to my residents. This is really great. It doesn't cost me anything. Um, it's, it's a great, this is a great product. And so those kind of building managers get it. We really enjoy working with them. It's really promising. And so they're, they're the people that we work with the most is, is um, we kind of work with their, um, their alleyway, their section of the alleyway and, and putting a, um, a bit next to their building. And so that's, that's who we want to um, keep happy. Wow. So like basically, cause that's what I was going to ask is, okay, you know, who is it that, you know, let's say Dane is reaching out to on a regular basis, because if you're reaching out to the individual, I mean, I guess you're probably getting a lot more done when you're reaching out to it, 
you know, at scale, the owners of the entire buildings. So you, do you know like the specific owners in the area that own a majority of the rental property in the city? Um, no, we ask, so the tenants usually reach out to us and they request a bin and then we are able to deduce that they live in one of these complexes. We just go on Google Maps and then we reach out to their building manager because they usually have that contact information. And so we're accruing that kind of contact information over time. And so, yeah, oftentimes we do get a building manager who's like, yeah, I own like many properties and we can talk about adding them to multiple different properties. Because do you know what I do for a living? Real estate. Yeah, so I know every single, like on the north side, the majority of the property owners who, of people who own all the property yeah. in, in the city of Chicago. So when we get done with this podcast, we should, um, yeah, I would like to see what I could, I could do for, I well, guess. That sounds awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yep. yeah. Let's definitely do that. Yeah. Cause I, um, you know, for the first three years of you know, being here in Chicago, you know, obviously we're real estate agents, they work with buyers and sellers, you know, but we also also work with renters and uh but over like you know the few three years that i've you know been here i've probably rented a you know a couple hundred different you know units so my interactions with property owners uh is is huge so that would be a, this this is like the last uh you know when i was you know gonna have you on the podcast i didn't really think this is something that would come from hmm. it but this is pretty cool man i feel like this would be awesome yeah Actually, that would be really cool. Um, what kind of what kind of interactions do you have with with these property owners? What to what extent does that happen? Yeah. So what happens is, like, let's say that I have a client. Uh, one of my I'm trying to think of a scenario of this week or last week. So last week I had a past client of mine who needed to move again, and at that point in time, my client, what they'll do is, let's say you're looking for apartments. You look on, let's say, Zillow, Apartments.com, Zumper, et cetera, all of these sites. Mm -hmm. And what my clients, my past clients do, because um, I, you know, I try to streamline the process for them the best way I can. So they'll send me all of the apartment sites that they want to see. And I, I call those, those owners or those companies directly, you know, to see if they're going to work with me so I can help my client. And a lot of times I'll speak to each, you know, individual property manager if I have to set up a showing because, you know, I got to pick up keys, right? And then when my client puts in an application, I have to, um, you know, I, I sometimes have to talk to the owner directly. Sometimes I have to talk to the managers. They might ask me questions about my client. Um, or if I'm working with, a, let's say, a buyer or a seller, um, I have to a lot of times speak directly with the manager of that building. So, you know, one of the properties that was selling downtown, they have hundreds and hundreds of units, but I have to talk to the Prop the the manager of the association who deals with all of that stuff. Mm. So we're in direct contact with those people every single day. Wow. Yeah. So you really know everybody. <laughs> yeah, I really know. <laughs> really, eventually, you know, eventually, I talk to everybody. So um, I would love to help you in any way I can when we get done here. That would be really cool. You know, we, uh, we would love. I like buildings. Seem to be one of the best outlets for us. Um, because we're an easily deployable, scalable solution for that. And um, just kind of saying like, hey, you know, this is a great way to get building composting fast and, and inexpensively. Um, this sort of thing could be really big for the city of Chicago. 
Um, because we have an emergency on our hands. We got, we got to do something about sustainability. We got to do something about our climate crisis and composting is a major part of that. Um, and the faster we can kind of deploy that, the, the better off we're going to be. And we'd love to see what we can do to help Chicago's real estate property. Um, yeah, so far it's a tough pitch because, uh, you know, a lot of these building owners, you know, most people in general don't understand or know about composting. Um, and so that's, that's a tough sell sometimes that that can be a tough sell. They have a lot of reservations about, about doing this. Do, so I'm wondering, cause there has to be right. There has to be some sort of benefit to the property owners. So maybe this is, I don't know if this is possible, but you know, a lot of housing with our owners is they'll have like low income housing or like certain unit after you have a certain amount of units, you have to have certain amount allocated to like, let's say ARO units and whatnot. And they get, so they either pay a certain amount or they get a tax write off. Mm -hmm. Is there any way that if they did something like this, is there any sort of like financial tax write off or something like that or no tax write off probably in the future once uh, most likely, I mean, this is, I, I can't imagine this not being in the tax code at some point, uh, like better recycling and waste management, but that's down the road. And that's a battle that we're not equipped to fight. It's not something that's ready. Um, but what is a good benefit to our building owners is that our customers pay for this voluntarily. Um, so they actually start to save on their waste bill because all of a sudden 30% of their trash is gone. 30% of their trash is being recycled wow. instead. And so that, and we're also managing this organic waste better than the waste management companies. So if you could imagine not having any more smelly garbage or kind of rodent prevention um, by having a dedicated management service for something like this, that's really big. Um, that, that could be really impactful, uh, for someone. And frankly, they don't have to pay anything. It's, it's a total voluntary service on behalf of the clientele in the building. You know, we can't, we can have, we can work something out where they subsidize subscriptions, but, um, they frankly just don't have to do that. Yeah. That would be probably be the way you'd have to pitch it to them. So any like association or let's say apartment complex in Chicago, unless they have like a flat fee for it. Of course, there's some landlords that charge like a flat, like $30 water, sewer and trash fee. Otherwise mm -hmm. every association or apartment complex, they're going to have the water sewer and trash removal included in their rent. So mm -hmm. they're procuring, like they're taking on that cost. So I'm sure if you could pitch in a way where like, Hey, you know, for buildings of this size, this is typically on average the saving that you would get every month. They probably, that would, that would probably be the way you'd have to pitch it. I don't know if you've already done it that way. Sure. Um, I, it's hard to, it's hard to nail down exactly what the savings would be because it's a case by case, right? Sure. So, but yeah, that's, that's probably a good way to do it. And we could totally, uh, I would be eager to pursue that actually. Yeah. So I guess, when people have waste that's like coming out of the household, like typically, I, I don't know how much I, I, I waste on a regular basis. Like what's an average? Um, like an average food scrap waste? Yeah, I guess food scrap waste. Maybe I don't know if there's like a how, per household or a person. Yeah, it's about, it's, it's somewhere around like um, 
we, we, we estimated around like five gallons of food scrap waste a month per person. Um, so maybe like one to two people, it kind of depends. Um, a five gallon like Home Depot bucket, you can kind of imagine that would kind of get full in about a month. So yeah. it's, it's a kind for like two people. Um, that, that's your, that's your general amount of waste, but you know, everybody's different and, it, and it's highly variable. Um, some people actively choose to try to waste less and buy less plastic and less packaging. Um, and those kind of efforts make a difference. Um, you know, some people will fill up like a, a black cart full of trash on a regular basis. Some people won't. It's, it's, it's highly variable and I'm not sure exactly what goes into that. Um, has to do with uh, the number of people in that household for sure. Um, but I imagine it's, but it's also highly variable from week to week because things happen. Yeah, I'm sure it would be tough to track. And the hardest part about this is I know you just mentioned earlier about it being, you know, trying to make it as convenient as possible because if it's, if it's not, you know, people are, aren't going to take that extra step to do it. You know, it's uh, a lot of services that are, are opt in it's hard to create that change because it's just, you know, one more step that they have to take. So I, you know, I'm sure you, you would wish just like a lot of other, uh, you know, sustainability, let's say businesses that they couldn't opt into it as if there was almost a, I don't know, would you say like random check i don't know if you'd be able to do that like a random check if the waste isn't distributed in this way or recycled there's there's a fee that comes to that individual building owner i don't know how that would come into politics or not but mm -hmm. you know where i'm coming from yeah you're you're i think you're aiming at um like how do you prevent contamination and stuff like that sure i guess how do you make it a way where um because I'm sure there, you, you can't just throw your trash out on the street or if it overflows, right. you're going to get fined as a landlord. I'm sure they could change it to where if you're not, of course, someone would have to like filter through the trash and whatnot, but if they had random checks and if you didn't you know, follow it just as if you had trash on the streets, you got fined. If you didn't recycle this way, you got fined. I don't know if that's... Oh, um, I suppose you could do something like that. <laughs> yeah. I, for our service, generally because it's opt-in and that, you know, people buy this thing voluntarily, we actually don't get a lot of um, non-compliance and, and contamination in our compost. You know, a lot of, a lot of recycling in Chicago is contaminated. It's not, it's not doing very well because people are putting the wrong things in or people are throwing recyclables out. Um, for a program that's completely voluntary, uh, we find that the participation and contamination rate is both respectively very high and very low. So we get good participation and no contamination. So this, this sort of um, stewardship over your recycling, um, our, our clientele and our customer base is really serious about this sort of thing. So I guess what's your, what's your goal with it? Like, is it just, do you first want to start with the say 20,000 blocks worth of Chicago or yeah. where do you want to go with this? Uh, we'd love to expand to any city where there's a density high enough to make compost drop-off points a reality. There's no reason we couldn't do that. Um, our, our, our immediate short-term goal is to just become, a, become the composting solution for the city of Chicago to make food scrap recycling 
easy and accessible to every single compost, uh, to every single Chicagoan. Um, would love to see that business model expand to any willing town, any town that, uh, that can take it and then expand to other types of recycling as well. And so we just, I, I'm looking to put a lot of technology behind recycling to make it a more efficient process, um, to make it a better process, to make it a less costly process, to make it a cleaner, um, because you know, the, the waste industry is just historically kind of been pretty lagging in, in terms of its sophistication and its technological sophistication. Um, that's not true across all departments, but you know, I, there are some, there are these technologies that are come, have come to exist or are on the horizon that just haven't been well incorporated and they kind of need a new pair of eyes or um, some fresh blood in the industry. Cool, man. So how do people engage? How do people, you know, help out? Just sign up at blockbins.com. Put your address down at blockbins.com and we will come and hook you up. Awesome, man. I love that. So, and then, so blockbins.com, where can people follow you on Instagram? Cause that's definitely a main channel for sure. Yeah. We're on block. We're, uh, our handle is blockbins. Cool. So, uh, everyone you can follow, Dane at uh, blockbins.com where you can sign up and then at blockbins on Instagram. So awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for being on the Chicago hustle. And uh, I look forward to seeing where this goes. Me too. Talk to you later. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of showing up with Edward Terrace. If you or someone, you know, would like to be on our podcast, head to our Instagram at showing up underscore podcast and fill out the link in our bio. If you'd like to follow my pursuits further, you can head to my Instagram at Edward Terrace or watch my weekly vlog on YouTube.